What is poppin'? I want to welcome you from Half Court for today, March 29th, 2023. I am your host, Sean Murphy, alongside one of my guys, Jeff Iafrady. Jeff came down from space and, jo- and decided to join us on Earth today. Jeff, thank you for gracing us with your presence. <laughs> well, I was humbled. Uh, no longer in space. The, the relationship with Elon is severed. So I'm here on Earth. Uh, but I'm happy to be here. Approaching the end of the season. Only, th- what, two home games left, I believe, for the Pistons? Oh, well, yeah. uh-huh. We're getting to that stretch. Did Father Elon say you had to pay seven bucks a month in order to stay up in space? Otherwise, it was going to be taken away with your blue check I'm going to be mark. honest. It, it was getting a little too hefty for me, Sean. I, I, me and Elon, we tried to talk numbers. It was a little, a little out of my price range, if I'm being honest. Oh, my gosh. Speaking of out of our price range, the most expensive man in all of the basketball podcast space. No, I'm totally kidding. Troy is literally the most chill guy <laughs> on the planet. It is Troy Sergi. Hey, Troy, how's it going, man? <laughs> going good, man. Uh, got to see my favorite player in the league last night. Luka yeah, you Dodgers saw Kyrie Irving yet again, dude. That's awesome. Yeah, I saw Kyrie again. Kyrie had a good <laughs> Your game. Your favorite player, the- Kyrie Irving. Yeah, yeah, not him, but um, <laughs> he had a pretty good game, though. Um, Kyrie had 16 and I think five assists. But, Wasn't that like uh, your sat fourth out... time seeing Kyrie? Yeah, something like that, but sat up most of the fourth quarter. And then Luca had a pretty quiet first half, but then just had a monster third quarter, like monster third quarter. And Mavs won by well over double Wait, digits. So. Troy, did, were you, you were in attendance for that pass, right? Yes, I saw the pass. I, I didn't really – like I saw it was a crazy pass, but seeing the angles – was even more crazy like that was that pass never should have happened but when I, when I was watching it live it was like oh that was a nice pass but then when i saw the the highlights it, i yeah it, it was an unreal pass yeah luca legend it's one of the it's one of those things where every time you watch luca you're in awe i mean it's i mean even troy it's, it's kind of amazing you saw him coming off of like you know perhaps his roughest stretch of mm-hmm. basketball ever and yeah. For him to, you know, like be able to like go out on a night to night basis and still put up performances like that. I mean, and Troy and like and with this being in Indiana, how much did you pay for a ticket to go see Luka Doncic? Little little more this time. I think it was twenty one bucks, but still pretty little good. Little more. <laughs> go <laughs> yourself. Anyway. <laughs> insane man i thought he was he said a little more i thought you were gonna you were you were gonna say something more expensive when you said a little more i was like uh yeah like 21 more than the, the typical i just got tickets for uh, thunder and pacers on friday and the cheapest ones were six bucks so i paid Jesus. i paid i paid a little hefty extra i went for 10 <laughs> <laughs> you figure little... go for the leg room get to pay ten dollars <laughs> Troy, Troy, Troy. Oh my gosh. Doesn't that just boggle your mind? I, I'm just gonna look up just for like just for reference sake. I want to look up how much a ticket is for a regular season game for like like all right. So just for reference, this is for when the when this podcast comes out, the cheapest ticket to go to a New York Knicks game at the Madison Square Garden, the cheapest ticket is $187 each. Jesus. <laughs> Troy had his most expensive ticket of the season at $21. <laughs> that's a that's a robbery. Now, always upper deck, don't get me wrong, Well, but yeah, but still. Troy, that's also upper deck. Like yeah, that is right. like the nosebleeds right. in the garden. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Oh my yeah. gosh. That's Go Pacers, insane. baby. Go, pa- Go <laughs> Pacers, baby. Hey, you'll take it 100%. That's I'll one of the beauties it. of living in the Midwest. But guys, yeah. let's dive into it. This is From Half Court, where we talk about all things NBA basketball, all things Detroit Pistons, all things NBA draft. If you like that, be sure you like this video, subscribe to the channel, share with your friends, join in the conversation in the comment section down below because From Half Court does have a very vocal community also be sure you follow all of us on social media so you're not missing any of the latest and greatest that is coming from the from half court crew you can follow my guy jeff at jeff i afraid you can follow my boy troy at troy sergi 44 and if you're feeling oh so generous you can also follow myself at sean half court but with that guys let's get right into it as far as detroit pistons goes i think we are officially in the time of year where there are no controversies to be had. So therefore, it is time to create controversies to be had. And the number one controversy on Pistons Twitter today is... What is it, Sean? What is it? James Wiseman starting down the stretch of these six games. Guys, I'm just going to tell you right... And, 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 and I, 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 I don't want to let my emotions dictate where or, or, or my response to dictate where you what your guys opinion is however i'm just gonna go out on a limb and say i don't give a who's starting down the stretch do you no no not with uh, the record the pistons have right now <laughs> which, which and, and and on top of the is you need context people like for james wiseman he's coming up on, on the end of his deal like you you've got to give him as much runway as possible as opposed to Duran. he's under contract i mean he's young but you, come on like that's I, I thought that was kind of an obvious thing sean but i guess not well, i guess people still have a problem with it well not only like you know not only is he does he have less years remaining on his deal not only is James Wiseman a newer player in the system, a guy that they brought in at the trade deadline? But let's remember, for all intents and purposes, James Wiseman has missed two and a half years of basketball. Yep. He came in, he played three games in college, had the injury mishap, decided to leave college, went into the pros, played about a half a season, got injured, then Steph showed he could still be Steph, and that completely changed how the Warriors decided they were going to do things. And now we're in this situation where James Wiseman is trying to catch up. It was reported right when the Pistons made the trade from Mark Spears that James Wiseman was going to be starting down the stretch. I don't think this is a decision based off of who's the better player, guys. I think this is solely off of a player development and an evaluation standpoint to see just what they have in James Wiseman, because guys, in my opinion, I think we've seen a lot of what Jalen Duran can be this season. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, and a lot of that too, not just Wiseman, but you have guys like RJ Hampton or, or Eugene, guys that need runway. So mm-hmm. I, I have no issue with it. The rotations to me, and we talked a little bit about this in a, in a previous pod, like, are you concerned about the rotations? Are you concerned about how things are going to be run? No. You want to see guys get as much runway as possible if they need it. And James Wiseman's a great example. He, he gets it in the starting lineup. I, I didn't really flinch at it initially. I mean, we, we kind of, we don't think we even talked about it that much because it was kind of a given. Like, we knew he'd start. We knew there's a lot more for him to show 
rather than Durin, it sounds crazy, but again, Wiseman, shorter term deal, a lot of unknowns about Wiseman. You wanted to give him as much runway. And to me, that made the most sense, especially for a team that stinks and you want them to kind of continue to stink to have the best odds of the number one pick. This doesn't, I mean, this doesn't even move into needle for me. Sean. Well, I mean, even then, guys, at this point, if you, if you talk about like, you know, like wanting to seal that, we are there. The Detroit Pistons have, you know, at this point, they have clinched the, mm-hmm. you know, the, the uh, best lottery odds. I, I understand, you know, that essentially since the All-Star break, I believe we won one game yeah. is where we are currently at. So going down this stretch, I don't think this is a team that is, that is trying, to do, trying to tank. I think with who they have in the roster available to them right now, I don't think they have to try that hard. Right. No, right. No, they don't. And but a what, guy like Wiseman, we talked about it, Sean. Sorry to interrupt, but we want this guy to develop. And the only way that you're going to do that in the NBA is giving touches and giving floor time. And I just think we've seen so much from Duran. Yes, he's young. Yes, he still needs that development as well. But for Wiseman to sit as much as he did and have a, as many G League rotation touches, you know, I guess you could say, um, in Golden State, I think playing real NBA minutes against NBA teams. And a lot of teams are competing right now for play-in spots, um, especially just – or playoff spots, especially just the last couple of games the Pistons have had and seen uh, as opponents. Um, we need this type of basketball with James Wiseman, Sean. Yeah, well, he needs it as well. You know, like and, – and you went right where I was going to go is the fact that the only way he's going to learn is if he gets these opportunities and these touches. And when you mm-hmm. have a portion – when you when you're – in a, when you come in and your season's already determined, you're already going to at the very least be in the bottom three odds and, and get and, and somehow get you know some of the best odds of Victor Wembanyama. That's already been decided, right? right. So what's the best use of, of of that time? Seeing what we have in house, and I think that's exactly what they've done, right? And I and and you know I understand you know like fans like wanting to see more touches with Jan, with with Jalen Duran, wanting to see him get more run and opportunity, and I would say. He's the youngest player in the NBA. He's going to have, you know, a ton of time to get run. I think part of it also has to do with the fact that he was injured, you know, to come out of the all-star break too. Thank but you. then but then yeah. here's another factor to throw another wrench into it all, guys. Marvin Bagley came back from injury. Mm-hmm. What the hell do we have in him? And we're investing twelve and a half million a year. So with that, the minutes in the front court got really sparse really quickly and Isaiah Stewart isn't even in the rotation right and it goes to your point you said a couple weeks ago Sean I said you said in these last 10 to 15 games we're going to see which players are Detroit Pistons moving forward and what players are just casual good NBA players right and uh, especially when we're looking when you're talking about roster spots now and roster spots that are filling positions these minutes matters for guys like a Marvin Bagley, uh, a, a James Wiseman, uh, even without an Isaiah Studer in the lineup. So, yeah, and on top of that, too, I mean, we knew even before this season, this season was with Cade. It was always about finding out who's going to be here, who's going to be a part of the future. That was a, kind of the big narrative we talked about going into the season. And now, even with Wiseman, you acquire Wiseman. Duran got hurt. Like people don't understand that he got hurt. Wiseman was playing extremely well. He did enough to keep his job. And what are you going to take him out of the starting lineup and throw Duran in just because it's Duran? Like he's been playing well, but still, Wiseman hasn't done really anything to lose it. But on top of what we talked about, he deserves all the runway. But don't 
don't act like Wiseman's been putting up duds and he's still in the starting lineup. He struggled a little bit recently, but ever since he got to Detroit, Sean, it's been mostly productivity. So it, it, I don't have an issue with him starting. I think he deserves it. And Dwayne even mentioned it. Like he's been playing his ass off. Like he deserves to be in the starting lineup and even moving forward for the rest of the season. Give him all the runway. Allow him to make mistakes. Allow him to learn because if he's going to be a part of your rotation next year, you got to know what you have in James Wiseman. Like, Duran will be here for the next, you know, couple years, if not longer. So, a lot, a lot shorter of a runway for us with Wiseman. So, you got to give him as much of an opportunity as possible. Right. And here's the reality check that people aren't going to love to hear, but is the reason why we're here, right? The reality is, as much as we believe in prospects and have certain attachments and, and you know, have investments personally and emotionally in players arcs like the one that that the Pistons community immediately felt with Jalen Duran. I, I would say from summer league on, Jalen Duran has been a has been a fan favorite, right? Mm-hmm. Right. That doesn't mean that they aren't going to do their due diligence to figure out who's going to be the franchise center going forward. Because if they get a chance at getting Victor Wembanyama this this offseason, you're damn right they're going to take it. Right? And and the reality of it is as much as they believe in every single guy in that in that's in that room right now, the guys that are going to make it are the guys that are the best players, regardless mm-hmm. of how the fans feel about them. Yeah. That's just the truth. And it's a it's a good problem to have, like yeah. quite frankly as well. Competition like- Yes. Competition breeds development, breeds growth, gets gets excellence out of each other, especially when it's cultivated right. And we got to stay consistent too. Like we can't praise Troy for for not you know uh, living or dying by his mistake. And I don't want to call it too much. It was a mistake at seven for Killian if he doesn't pan out. But still, the fact that he drafted back to back guards, mm-hmm. more competition. We praised him for that. But then people are going to give him uh, criticism for getting Wiseman or playing Wiseman or not Troy, but Dwayne playing Wiseman. It's like the whole point of competition is something that we've been you know kind of advocating for and we've been giving you know praise for. So for me, this whole thing with with Bagley coming back. I know Stewart's been out, but still with with Duran, Wiseman, and Bagley. Although the fit's been awkward. To me, the fit doesn't even matter at this point. Just get those guys out and let them play. And, and whoever can't fit, who can't play, you'll make that decision at a later date. So the, the more, the quicker you're getting answers about James Wiseman, the better. And so far, it's been all positive. Yeah, for sure. And, and like I think the one thing that's been really consistent with James Wiseman is is the effort, the intensity, the you know yep. the things that he brings on a night to night basis. And so you know, listen, I I still think that you know these you know I I've still been really impressed with what I've seen from Jalen Duran. I still think. Both of their ceilings are very high. I'm I'm interested to see what a summer in this in the system and a training camp will do for mm. James Wiseman and for Jalen Duran alike. I'm just interested to see you know what these guys will look like going into next season. You know, with Cade, yeah, with Cade, with Cade, mm. but also the potential lottery selection, the potential yeah. the, the potential free agency additions. Like this team is going to look significantly different, and so. Yep. You know, we we talk about, you know, the games that are going to be coming up. I believe, you know, as as of when we're recording, the Pistons have about six games remaining. And it is officially, you know, it is officially the point of the year where these games do not. They they have seven more games. My apologies. They, they, They mean nothing at this point other than for these guys to go out and finish strong. And listen, you could you could certainly not. You could certainly try telling Jaden Ivey 
these games mean nothing. He's going out and playing his ass off, specifically having a career high against the Milwaukee Bucks the other night. Guys, Jaden Ivey in his sophomore year, I think, could take a real jump, especially oh, yeah. with Cade coming into the lineup. How excited are you guys about our backcourt we have going forward, watching performances like that? Very, very. And uh, trust in Troy, right? But I guess, you know, you can't really mess up. Way to be um, egotistical there, Troy. What'd you say? Way to be egotistical there, Troy. Right, right. I was going to say, you can't really mess up maybe a top five pick, but then again, we do see GMs do that. But I, I think being smart about drafting talent over positions you know we preach that on the podcast but you can really see it pan out even with guys like ivy right i mean we're seeing production on the offensive end and yes we know Cade isn't there but we can see fruits of of ivy being a potential all-star one day right i mean we're seeing this score first guard who is able to get the job done um, a, a score around the uh, around the paint, um, you know, facilitate the ball, excellent level. He's playing better than a rookie, in my opinion. Um, and I I just can't wait for year two. Yeah, I mean, he's he's he has gotten over the rookie wall, yeah. and is a genuinely good NBA player. Right. Yeah. Right. And another thing, too, with Ivy, I mean, we know he's athletic. That was a known coming in. But one thing that impresses me, and now you're starting to see why people mention John ja Morant so much, is because as athletic as John ja Morant is, he never really needed a mid-range jumper. He has the floater he can take in the lane, and obviously he's stepped out. He's improved his three-point shooting. But Ja is, is kind of putting together a complete package, and that's when you saw Ja take those leaps. For for ja, or excuse me, for Jaden Ivey, one thing I asked, at least, was a mid-range shot. Because if you're going to have guys backpedaling with his athleticism, they're going to give you space. You're going to have an opportunity for a floater or a mid-range shot. And, and watching Ivy over the last, what, two months, you've seen him impl implement a mid-range shot. You've seen him get to the line more often, which John Morant, you'll see John any given night. He'll have 35 points, but he'll have like 15 free throws made, makes. So that's a big thing, too, with Ivy's game that he didn't really have a chance. He's a rookie at the end of the day, too, so he's not going to get the respect anyway. But you wanted him to take that next step. Boom. Last night against the Bucks, 32 points. He had like well, 11 of 12 from the free throw line, which, again, love the percentages. But the more consistent Jay Ivy gets to get to the free throw line, those averages are going to go up. It's the same argument we made for Cade. He had a great rookie year. He barely got to the line. Like, if he got to the line, if the, if the refs gave him the calls we watched and knew he deserved, he'd be a 20-point scorer his rookie year. So for Ivy to take that next jump, for him to get to the free throw line more consistently and make more consistent free throws, you know, shoot 75 80%, he's going to be a dangerous player, especially if he has a mid-range or a floater like John Morant. He's easily going to be a 20-point scorer. Easily. Yeah. Without a doubt, man. And, you know, you, you, you see, you know, him and Cade talking on the sidelines. You hear about how Jaden Ivey talks about how essential, you know, he's been, how frequently they're in communication, how lock and step they seem to be. It just excites you about the potential of what they can do on the court next season. And a player that a lot of people are wondering will be joining them next season is a guy that we added towards the end of this year a guy that we made jokes about not even being able to pronounce his name. But now, guys, we know Eugene Omarui's name. In fact, we saw that Eugene Omarui was signed to a two-year contract extension with a team option on next season. Essentially, in, from what I can tell, locking in Eugene Omarui at the very least through training camp for right now. Mm -hmm. What have your guys' thoughts been on his play? 
do you what are your guys' thoughts on the possibility of him being on the roster next season? And what do you expect? What are your realistic expectations? Well, I'll start with the expectations for me. Not much, uh, if I'm being real, especially with free agency and, and the players they're going to add. But if we could just talk about Boo. Eugene and give him, give him, <laughs> I will, see the fun answer would be Eugene will be the third option next year for the Detroit Pistons. But Eugene, for, the but, next Giannis. <laughs> yeah, but for Eugene, the most impressive thing and something that we kind of talked about a little bit about when he was first acquired or he signed that ten day contract is the hustle. Like, that's one thing. It's it's funny when you, you have a situation like the Pistons where they're losing so many games and you bring in somebody that has no bias or just comes in and is just grinding for an NBA job. You see his hustle. You see his love for the game. And again, his versatility, what he can bring. He's not the greatest shooter, but just everything else he brings, the heart, the hustle, it speaks of volumes. He's playing in Detroit, so we welcome anybody that's going to play like Eugene. But for him to get that two-year deal to get some security, I know the second year as a team option, I'm happy for him. I mean, he deserves it. We, we kind of saw this coming i know he signed he signed a second 10-day option or 10-day contract and it's like hey just sign the guy to an extension he's earned it um now what are you what are the expectations for him moving forward not much but just to have a guy like this on your roster that you can trust and you know he's going to give you 120 percent it's a great problem to have it's awesome shout out to eugene yeah 100 percent. Yeah. troy what about you yeah yeah and i thought um the work ethic right is, is a big thing i see and just his ability to play all, all around, you know, team oriented basketball where he's going to give that 110% effort, I think is really, really important. And you want that down the stretch um, in, in these types of seasons, right? And these types of games, these kind of meaningless games, you still want to play competitive basketball that helps your other guys develop around us. Because I think when you're playing, you know, good basketball, guys like a James Wiseman, a Jalen Duran can even develop just by having guys on the floor that are competing, uh, maybe different positions, but still competing to the 110%. And then moving forward, yeah, I'm kind of with Jeff there. I just don't really see a huge opportunity for him to have a major role on the team. But again, if he is your 15th, 14th uh, roster spot on this team, why not sign him for for um, yeah. for the year? So and his his energy is contagious too. Yeah, like that right. that stuff when you watch him play, it, it mm -hmm. transfers to the rest of the team. And, and that's right. why another thing you look at right. Eugene, man. Like if you're playing alongside him and he's he's got a 10 day contract and he's play, he's leaving it all out there, like that's got to give you some sort of inspiration I mean, like Coach his Casey story said he was coming for jobs man he was coming yeah. to take someone's job which yeah which that is a legitimate thing and Eugenio Marui has been playing with consistent effort consistent energy on both sides of the court makes the right basketball decision at just about every turn he's a breath of fresh air especially you know something that we've been missing in that wing room which is just mm -hmm. you know that level of consistency on a night-to-night -night basis now having said all that Will he be on the roster next season? I have no idea. I would assume he will be on the summer league roster. I would assume that he will be on the training camp roster. But let's remember, guys. What's the position that the Detroit Pistons are most likely going to try to address this offseason? Wing. The wing. Where can they go get a wing this offseason? In the draft. In the draft. Where else? <laughs> and the uh, free agency. And or free, yeah, and free agency. Yeah. The truth is, there are high-quality names on the table this offseason. I know people are like, oh, well, what's this free agency class? Well, to answer your question, getting a guy like a Jeremy Grant type or a Cam Johnson type back in the, back in the building wouldn't be a bad thing to have, right? No. So I, I just think that you look at the amount of wing depth that's coming into this draft, 
but also beyond in the free agency market and everything. I just would say, I would caution just saying Eugene must have a spot on the team next year because the reality is this team needs to get better next year, right? And we want to have depth at more positions. I want to be in a position where we're bringing Bojan off the bench next season, right? Yeah. Right. That would be pretty cool. That would now, really show the depth of this roster yeah, if exactly. Bojan comes off the bench. Yeah, Exactly. Now, having said all that, could you, Eugene Omarui possibly earn a two-way spot? Could he possibly earn that, yeah. that, that 14th or 15th spot, like you guys said? Perhaps. And, and you know what? Like He could possibly be one of the better 13th, 14th guys in the league just because he seems like a guy, at least from when he's been in Detroit, he's been ready every time he's been called upon. And that's the biggest surprising thing because he's only he only played 39 career games in the NBA. Like, think about that. Yeah. 39 career games. So we talk about James Wiseman and guys getting runway. Here's a perfect example of, of a guy who really has never had an opportunity. He's only started in five career games, and he's even averaging 14 minutes in his career. So for yeah. Eugene to get this type of runway, to really know, I mean, he didn't get the opportunity in OKC. He didn't get the opportunity with Dallas. So to have it with the Pistons, he's only 26 years old. So I don't want to write him off, but to be completely you know, realistic, yeah. After you get free agency, he, right. he's going to have a hard road. He's going to have a hard road to earn a rotation. He's got a really He's got yeah. a really good I was gonna say, Matt, go ahead. He's, I was just going to say really quickly. He's got a really good floor, not a high ceiling. That's all right. I was going to say. Go ahead, Troy. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, I was going to say mathematically, a lot of guys that you call up in this type of scenario don't make a massive effort. Don't make a massive, you know, splash on your roster. Um, it's just how this league goes with this much talent, especially in our G League system. But to have a guy like that to come in, that's what makes making heads turn and making GMs say, Oh shoot! Maybe I can have this guy on my roster. I was just trying to have him fill roster spot for for this rest of this um, you know worthless season. But um, I again, mathematically, you just don't see this very often, right? Um, with guys really, really showing off their talent in this type of scenario. So now I will say this, guys: I really hope he's on the summer league roster because this is a guy to me that screams like potential summer league breakout candidate. <sighs> like this is a guy who could come out and like turn some heads and go. Eugene Omarui, like I could already yeah. picture those calls from Mark yeah. Davis and, and Lisa Salters on the sidelines. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. it's yeah. just, you know, I, I'm, I'm super happy for him. It just shows, you know, the, the amount of, you know, the, like how hard it is even just to get, you know, on a roster in this league, how much effort it shows, but you know, overcoming the odds, like you said, Troy, so many guys signed 10 day contracts. Those don't, and even then those don't come around all the time. So the fact that he right. got converted uh, into a spot the rest of the season, I mean, you know, props to him, but also props to Troy Weaver for finding another guy, you know, in the in the in the roughs for all intents and purposes. Mm -hmm. Oh, you know? wait, 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 wait. You giving Troy you giving Troy credit? Oh, oh yeah, that's right. Uh, that's right. We're in the don't do that, Sean. You, yeah, you don't have to do, that. to do that. That's right. My apologies. I can... <laughs> people people assume he I, I've seen some fire Troy comments, but, uh, you know, it is what it is, which the lunacy of that. By, I know it's by it's the way complete lunacy. It, it's astonishing to me. It, 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 it really is. But guys, another thing that was astonishing to me was a report that I saw today from Brian Windhorst, where he brought up specifically how Steven Silas, the head coach of the Houston Rockets at one point this season was so upset and so distraught 
by the fact that he can't possibly connect to this team and just how difficult it is to communicate and convey with them that he was breaking down into tears. And listen, Steven Silas has gone through a lot publicly and privately over the last couple of years. He lost his father, you know, a few months ago. Um, you know, my my heart just breaks for him as, as a person. So, like, my my number one thing, we all know more than likely what's happening to Steven Silas over the over the course of the, of the couple weeks. There's already reports of Ime Udoka possibly being of interest to the Rockets. The writing is on the wall for Steven Silas. But, guys, the reason why, I'm as a, why I get frustrated and why I get angry when I read stories like these is because the writing was on the wall for Steven Silas before he ever even stepped, you know, before he even stepped on the court to coach his first game, because when Steven Silas was hired to be the head coach of the Houston Rockets, he thought he was coaching James Harden and Russell Westbrook. He thought mm -hmm. he was taking on that team. And then he had the John wall, Christian Wood, DeMarcus cousins rockets. How'd that go? Not great. I'm just going <laughs> to even I'm, need to I, answer that I, one. <laughs> I, I, yeah. We don't, we don't got to suspend the disbelief. Yeah, that's a rhetorical question. Yeah. 100%. But guys, if you look at the track record, since Tillman Fertitta has taken over as, as the principal owner of the Houston Rockets, it has been a dumpster fire. And that includes when James Harden, and freaking the the uh, uh, Sam Presti, the uh, no, it's not Sam Presti. Who's the uh, who's the G, former GM of the Rockets that's now with the Philadelphia 76ers? Can't remember off the top of my head. All right, yeah, same. All right, I'll look it up. But anyway, guys, when you saw that report, what was your reaction? Uh, honestly, my heart does go out to Steven because number one, he's the son of Paul Silas, which is, you know, if you know him as a player or as a coach, like you got a lot, lot to live up to anyway, but for Steven to lose his father in the same season that the Houston Rockets, they quite frankly stink. And it's not just stink like Daryl Morey, Daryl Morey. Okay. Well, yeah, Daryl Morey. Oh gosh. We'll get into him in a second, but there's there's differences with stinking like the Pistons where you stink, but there's still promise. There's still a, a culture being developed. There's still a lot of things you like in, in what you're building. And then there's stink with really no direction. And I feel like the Rockets, you might like some of their players, but we I've hated, I mean, we've all hated the fit since day one, even with Kevin Porter Jr. and Dalen Green. So for Steven to be in that situation, listen, the NBA, is, it's, it's not fair for anybody. So I can't say it's not fair for Steven because there's only 30 jobs. So to be a head coach in this league, you got to eat dirt sometimes. And for Steven, this is a big lesson for him, being an assistant in the league for as long as he has and now being a head coach. It's a wake-up call. This is why some coaches, if you're in a good position, you don't take certain jobs. Like, if you have leverage, because you're like, ugh. Like, I'm essentially signing up for something. Uh, and like you said, Stephen thought he was signing up for James Harden and Russell Westbrook. Mm -hmm. Now look at what he what he has now. It's essentially a rebuild with not mm -hmm. a lot of promise going forward. So right. uh, my heart goes out to him. I, I feel for him. But at the same time, this is a business. And yeah. if you can't get it done, they're going to find somebody who they think can get it done. Right. So it kind of goes both ways. Right. And I would argue you you see this more you see this more in the in the NFL you know nowadays I would say than you see it in the NBA but it's just like how frustrating is it like when you see a coach where 
You know, when, where, where a guy like Stephen Silas, he was a head assistant in the NBA for years, one of the most respected assistant coaches, you know, in the NBA circle. Yet, for whatever reason, this was the only job that he could get. And it was True. a job that across the league, after Mark D'Antoni left, like, like, like people forget that was like a don't touch that thing with a 10 foot pole job. But it was, but Steven Silas, that was the one opportunity he had. Like, you know, it, like you said, Jeff, on the flip side, there's only one of 30 jobs in the league. And so even when you're set up to fail, you still have to take your opportunity. And that's the part that really sucks. You know? You know, and it's like with Daryl Morey, like, listen, like, I don't, you know, it's like he, you know, like a lot of those, like, I, I would argue that, you know, I, I don't think you can blame, you know, those guys, obviously, you know, like they're not in the building, but like, you know, a lot of the, you know, the Rockets obviously, you know, blew everything up and didn't really have much of a plan. And Steven Silas was asked to pivot. And this is the difference. And this is why I preach the importance of having a coach like Dwayne Casey in the building. Because he's been in a ton of different experiences, but he's been in the head coaching seat before, both in winning situations and in losing situations. And one thing that I am confident about with Dwayne Casey this season, I don't think he ever broke down crying because he didn't feel like he had control of his team this year. I can guarantee you that. Mm -hmm. Right. And the reason is because he knows what to do in that situation. He's yeah, been a lot there of it, before. A lot of it's personnel too. Like Troy's done a good job of getting players that are coachable, right? right. Like that's that matters too. It goes both ways. So for the Rockets to have, you know, Jalen Green and Kevin Porter Jr., I keep going back to those guys. And I, listen, I don't know him personally, but if you look at Cade, coachable, Ivy, coachable. Co as a mother who's a coach, you look at even guys like well, formerly Sadiq Bay, coachable. Now he's on the on the Hawks, but Wiseman, coachable. These guys that he's able, been able to collect and put together, very coachable guys. I don't know what's going on in Houston. I mean, you had Aaron Gordon earlier this year. We kind of made fun of the comment he had. Where it's like, hey, yeah, he's like, there's no improvement. No improvement. And again, yes, coaching matters with that aspect, but it's on the players. Like, you, you got to hold players accountable as well. So, again, if you want to talk about Dwayne with the Pistons, that's fine. But at the end of the day, there's times where people are bringing up Dwayne just to bring up Dwayne when we're bringing up, well, you look at the players. Accountability matters. And I don't think there's any in Houston. Even, like, it's sad because you can look at Houston and say, oh, that place is a disaster. But Steven Silas could be out there coaching his ass off trying to get these guys, trying to get everything out of them, but simply they're just not responding to it. It's unfortunate. Well, and, and, and picture being in his shoes as well, Troy. When, when, when you're working your ass off, going in each and every night, coaching this team that you are not realistically going to be able to win games with, and then you have your owner all over social media, absolute based saying pray for victor how does that sit not the greatest not the greatest sean um but man it's just it shows you it shows you night and day with the culture that troy weaver that Dwayne casey is building on this roster when you guys have when you guys buy into Dwayne Casey's system and sure sure we've talked so much about Dwayne Casey already we're not gonna go that path but I'm just saying 
they have a the Rockets have a better record than us. But if you were to just judge a team by its record of what coach, what franchise would you want to move moving forward? Something tells me that most NBA fans would say the Pistons. It's just a theory. Well, this is just what we've been talking about all along, right? Of the context of the situations, the context behind the record. Like, you know, what's behind it? With Detroit, you could go, oh, multiple key players were injured. In Charlotte, oh, multiple key players were injured and one of their players and one of their players had a major criminal thing before the season. Oh, and their franchise has been terrible forever. But then you go to Houston and it's like, it's only described as a circus. It's like, it's almost not even news because the fact that everyone knows that the Rockets are a circus. And, and that's and like and that's the difference. Like that really is. And like I just think the Steven Silas report really let it shine through. Right. Right. Yeah. Now and, and, I, and I've kind of and I've kind of turned the tide to it, Stephen. Like I, I, early in the season, I, I've given. I listen. I've roasted Stephen a couple times, but uh, the majority what I'm learning now in my mindset now is kind of looking at it like you know Stephen's probably going to be the one that falls on the sword. But let's be honest here. Like, even if you get Ime Adoka, and again, that's a, a significant upgrade. We know what Ime Adoka is. At the end of the day, it still matters who you have on your roster. So, yep. like, the players are still going to be there. It's still going to be Jalen Green, Kevin Porter Jr. Like, so it, it, you can blame Steven Salas all you want, uh, and he's going to fall on the sword. But quite frankly, I don't think it's all him. Uh, listen, I, I, I'm just going to come straight out and say it. I think, you know, I think in developing situations – MB, I think you need coaches that are really good at developing. But otherwise, if you're talking about like on a night-to-night basis, like does a head coach make a massive difference on winning games each and every night? I don't think you. Re- I don't think a head coach really makes a difference until you're getting to the little minutia of NBA playoff, NBA playoff basketball. Doc Rivers in the in the Philadelphia 76ers versus Mike Budenholzer in the Milwaukee Bucks. When it's a downright chess match, your rosters are just about matched at every single position. How is the coach going to put him in a position to succeed, make the adjustments over the course of a series? That, in my opinion, is where an NBA coach makes their mark. I think we as a fan, I think we as a collective of NBA fans put way too much emphasis on what an NBA coach actually does. Am I crazy yeah, for that? No, it's it, honestly, I think coaching matters the most situationally. I think, I think that's when it matters. Two minutes left in, in the fourth quarter, or like you said, in the playoffs, postseason. A majority, I mean, this is a league where you have one or two superstars, you should be able to win games. Now, if you have a young team, it's a little different. So coaching matters, obviously. But to your point, Sean, I agree with you 100%. Troy, am I crazy? You're not crazy, Sean. Um, I think it's... It's hot. It's 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 more than X's and O's, okay. And I think some people, when, when maybe casuals or you know just casually in the sporting world, will think uh, you you know your coach is only responsible for the X and O's, the plays, whatever. But no, the coach drives the culture of the system and the culture of the team. And and I think when you have the right coach, okay, when you have the right coach your culture falls in together, right? Your mm-hmm. stars can be stars. Your role players can be role players and you can function as one unit 
uh, together. That's what a true team is all about. So yes, I mean, the head coaching in this, in this league matters and we've seen great teams with the wrong coach not succeed over the years. And you've seen some great coaches take contenders into champions as well. Right. To me, this is just a situation where I highlight all of this and, and, and I say all of this to really wrap the bow of, I personally think if you put Steven Silas in almost any other coaching room, you give him the keys. If you gave Steven Silas the keys to the 2017 Golden State Warriors, do any of you think they're not winning the championship? I think they'll, they'll start winning that thing. Like, do you think do you think Steven Silas really doesn't know basketball? <laughs> like Rockets that, fans would probably say no, but yes, he does. Like, like that that's really all I'm saying. And then listen, yeah, Rockets fans would go, oh well, he did this, he did that, he did this. Your roster has been hot dog water ever since he stepped in the building. That mm-hmm. listen, that's a whole other rabbit hole that we could continue to go down. I'm way more interested in this. Troy. You saw Luka Doncic last night as of recording, but also more importantly, you saw the Dallas Mavericks, which is, and I mean this literally, the biggest dumpster fire in the NBA right now. I know we just talked about the circus that's in Houston and everything that's going on there, but this is bad, y'all. I, 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 You guys remember my trepidation with the Kyrie Irving trade, right? What was Mm -hmm. my concern when that trade went down? Well, they lost all their good, their best defenders. So it was, how is this team going to respond now with two guards who can't defend? And that Kyrie Irving is the type of player who basketball is not his number one priority. And he's going to bring attention into the locker room that um, may not be welcomed. And what's happened? Both. <laughs> like, literally. It's, it's, I, I don't understand. It's like a clockwork. It's like NBA Twitter. Like, we all collectively, like, when the trade happened, it's like, oh, man, this is going to be a problem. Like, we like we immediately saw it in the eyes of, like, a 2K player. Yeah. But, yeah. But, guys, over the weekend, did you see the, the, the press conference Luka Doncic had? where he was just where they were asking him about what the problems are. And he was like, I don't know, man. Like, I don't like, I have never seen a player look that defeated at 23 years old in my entire life. And now we're realistically in a situation where a team that a year ago made it to the Western conference finals. Yeah. Solely off of Luca's greatness alone. Mm Mm-hmm is now in position to miss the play-in. They're currently behind the Oklahoma City Thunder. They have higher odds of landing Victor than the NBA Finals. (laughs) I mean, guys. Yeah, it's bad. And you talk about... And by by the way, that's with Kyrie almost having a 50-40-90 season. Go ahead. And to make it all worse... This team lost two times in a row to the Charlotte Hornets. Yeah, that that to me, I mean, it was a lot of buildup uh, to get to this, but that to me was the final straw with this team this season was you lose back-to-back games against the Hornets. <laughs> and guys, not just, not just any Hornets team, 
a Hornets team, that, a Hornets <laughs> team that didn't have Lamelo, a Hornets team that didn't have Terry Rozier, a Hornets team that didn't even have Kelly Oubre Jr. Luka Doncic dropped forty in one of those games, and thirty-four in the other, and they straight up got outplayed both nights. I mean. This is where, in my opinion, you can actually point to coaching because this is a team that was at a level at one point. Obviously, I think some GM work. I also think they made some terrible decisions in the front office. But guys, can we just admit Jason Kidd's a terrible coach now? Like, are we there? He, I, would say he's, I would say he's mid. I would say Jason Kidd, he's, he's a mid coach. You'd even give him mid? Yeah. Because I can't say he's awful, but he, he's mid. Like, even, even last year, he's just he's mid. He's all right. And, and again, you talk about we – just, we just talked about how much coaching really doesn't matter in most situations. This roster construction is, isn't the best either. Like, right. where's your where, – where, like, speaking of the Hornets games, both games, the Hornets shot 40% from three. Like, where – Where's the defense? Like, so again, it's Jason Kidd. Yeah, he's mid, but also the, the roster. Kidd, Nico Harrison defensive is mid coach. As well. That was the one thing he was supposed to bring to the table was improved defensive play on this team. Yeah, yeah. You could bring a donkey to the water. You can't make a drink it. All right. So, yeah, you, you, yeah, you can I don't, know, I don't know what's going on. Yeah, getting a drink is a whole other thing. Yeah, <laughs> and I mean, Troy, you just saw him in person the other night. Yeah. How, like, just like size wise. Like on TV, they look small in comparison yeah, to other teams. Do. Yeah. In person. Yeah. Is it as bad as it seems? Yeah. I mean, they didn't play, they didn't utilize Christian Wood much at all, but they didn't have Maxi Kleba available either. Um, so, yeah, they definitely went small last night, uh, I thought for sure. Uh, but yeah, to your point, Sean, I, I'm kind of going to have to go with Jeff here. I'm not going to label Jason Kidd a terrible coach just because, even to, yes, we know Luca's performance last year got into the Western Conference Finals, but I, I just can't say that you can be a bottom 25 coach in the league and still with talent, with one player, take your team to the Western Conference Finals. I, I think he I mean, I think he developed a good roster last year. I think it is also pretty ago. clear that Jalen Brunson meant a lot. Yeah, no, absolutely. Too. Like, like yeah. that doesn't discredit any of that. I just, right. I would not label him a bottom tier necessarily i wasn't i wasn't saying he was bottom tier i'm okay. just saying like at the yeah, very I, least he's doing right. a bad job right now he's not agree? upper tier i'll give you that he's not upper tier i mean at the very least this team should be ramping up oh yeah should be especially in these situations should be able to outscore teams not a problem and you would at the very least think for a guy like like J in jason kids ilk like like this is a point where you can actually point to coaching and go why do we have an offense that is only heavy isolation with, with Kyrie and Luca? which, yes, they're both extremely talented in isolation, but, like, don't you think you can do a little bit more variety with two of the best ball handlers in the history of basketball? Yeah, he's he's definitely – I mean, we can all admit he's struggling with this fit, like trying to figure these guys out. I mean, you, you, weren't the Mavericks before the Kyrie trade at one point like a top-five team? Like in, Yeah, in, in oh, for, for actually a good chunk of the season. And then now with Kyrie and, and the departure of, of Finney Smith, and now you see them kind of just sliding down. So it's, this team's struggling. roster should be a fourth 
seed, in my opinion. But you're at 11th. <laughs> I mean, I yeah, think with, with Kyrie and Luca, yeah, I agree. Yeah. At the very least, they should be a playing team. Yeah, with those two, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, absolutely. and I mean, you talk about like you know, like everything that this means, like you know, like we can we can agree to disagree on Jason Kidd. What we can <laughs> definitely say is Christian Wood definitely seems like that's like a like a they must get him out of there you know after this season type of thing and I don't think Jason Kidd necessarily helped there but what I would say as well what does this mean for Kyrie Irving beyond this season because he's it's not like he's even playing bad basketball he is being a little bit annoying on social media but he's not even being as much of a distraction He's just not moving the needle for them at all. But that, that, but teams got to look at that too and be like, ugh. Like for for Kyrie this offseason, I, I think it'll be a minimal market. I do. I, I think there'll be a couple teams interested, depending on what the Lakers do. Especially I think that's a big if he domino. Wants a long term maximum extension. Exactly. And if the Lakers, if they want to re-sign D'Lo and, and keep Malik Beasley, kind of get some of these guys reworked, then yeah, the Kyrie's out of the picture. But if they want to try and pursue Kyrie, I think the Lakers are a viable destination. Mavericks are clearly going to want him back. But other than that, I mean, you're you're, you're pulling at hairs now with teams that are going to be interested in Kyrie Irving because you don't think any team's been paying attention to what he did in Brooklyn. Not saying it was all his fault, but just the drama in what happened the last couple of years and now with the Mavericks and the, the drastic downfall of the Mavericks. Not saying it's Kyrie's fault. But come on, you don't think teams are at least looking at that like, oh, okay, we got to at least consider this, even though he's having a great season. So I think we'll have a market. I just don't think it'll be like most. If you're Kyrie Irving, if you're a 50, 40, 90 guy, every single team in the league should be calling your phone, asking you to play for them. I don't think it'll be the case for Kyrie Irving. There, there, there is the, the one interesting component, though, in, in the sense that, you know, like, do the Mavericks obviously want him back? Like at this point well, with how it's gone, with how Luca's feeling about it all, like are they almost better off just getting the free cap space? Like that's the weird thing because when you talk about what their road is going forward, they gave up a first round pick to put themselves in this mess. Mm-hmm. And now, like you talk about like, you know, I think like the free agent market is going to be solid for teams like Detroit or, you know, like, other teams that are trying to find complementary ancillary pieces. Dallas needs to find the core figurehead that's going to be with Luka going forward. If they want any form of success, what player is like, like where's that player in this free agency market? You know, it's funny if they never got Kyrie, it probably would be Kyrie. If you think about it, I mean, but now they know what Kyrie looks like. So it might not be Kyrie. But he's but believe it or not, to say what you want about Kyrie and his love for the game, the free agents available, he's one of the best free agents available. Well, if I, you're, well again, if you're looking strictly in a bubble, Jeff, if you're right. looking solely yeah. on paper of what you're getting as a basketball player, yes, you are yeah. correct. <laughs> yeah. yeah. However, who is signing up for that right now? Not too many teams, not barely any teams. Barely. Yeah, exactly. It's it's absolutely it's absolutely unreal. Another thing I wanted to bring up really quickly, I thought I thought was really interesting. I wanted to get your guys' takes on this. So I'm not sure if you guys remembered, but a couple of years ago, uh, in the 2021 NCAA tournament, it was actually held in the bubble. 
It was actually mm-hmm. like in March of 2021. This is still in a point where we we're kind of still recovering because it was really the summer of that year where things went back to normal, right? And mm-hmm. and in that bubble, the uh, there was a I'm not sure if you guys remember, but there was a really big controversy about the facilities that the men's tournament had and the facilities that the women's tournament had. And I thought it was really interesting because not even three years after that debacle and that controversy, the NCAA women's final four is now a hotter ticket than the men's final four. This is per um, points bet USA. As of today, the lowest ticket price for the men's final four on Ticketmaster. $75. Wow. The lowest ticket price for a women's final four ticket, $284. Caitlin Clark, first of all. Yeah, I was going to say, well, there you go. Yeah. But second of all, guys, I think this is a ultimate lesson that basketball is good basketball regardless of gender, race, creed, sexual orientation, that good basketball sells regardless of gender. And if you put the money and invest behind these stars and showcase them, people will go to what is better. And right mm-hmm. now, the women's tournament's just straight up and better. Well, it's 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 better program. Oh, well, more known programs. I got to watch what I say here. LSU, you have Iowa, you have Caitlin Clark, Angel Reese, like two ballers that are going to play in the WNBA if they so choose. That's why the tickets are more. Like we had this discussion, Sean, when we made the video, the star power in the NCAA men's tournament, especially with all the upsets, uh, typically you see a lot of those. It's just different. Like I even find myself, I've tuned into more women's NCAA basketball than I have men's this season. Like it, yeah. because it's on TV and it's better. It's better television. Caitlin yeah. Clark and Haley going at it, mouthing each other. Like that stuff to me is better TV than, than I'm sorry, watching, you know, uh, UConn or, or San Diego State. It's just, it is what it is. Well, and, and, and I, I just, think fundamentals too. Go ahead, Sean. No, no, no. You go ahead, Troy. Okay, I was gonna say fundamentals are a lot better normally with women too. Uh, fundamental basketball, uh, but also the competitiveness, like Jeff's mentioned. Uh, I, I just now there's there's been some good competitive men's games in, in the absolutely tournaments, of but, course. But but the women's competitiveness was a little bit different. I, I I thought I thought that this year, and I I don't know what years I would have said that besides this one. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it's just naturally, um, something that the country is more attractive to at this, at this stage, which is, which is fine, which is great. Well, yeah. I think power to them, yeah, power to them. Absolutely. I, I think this just speaks to, you know, I think for so long, there's just been this stance of women's basketball will never be on the level of men's because men are just better. They're more athletic. And it's like, there are some remarkable basketball players that are women. I mean, Candace Parker, the career yeah. that she's had, I'm Super. in awe of. The Las Vegas Aces run from this last year was freaking incredible. Sabrina Ionescu is one of my, you know, like favorite rising star basketball players. You know, like I personally am like more interested in the WNBA than I have been before. And that's because women's basketball, guys, is growing quickly. And I mm-hmm. think like the star power we're going to see in the next five years, like I just want to see that league get the get the support and representation it deserves because clearly it shows that if you put these people on the pedestal 
give them the time, there's stars there too. Could you right. imagine a world, Sean, where in the summertime, instead of baseball dominating literally everything, you have a MLB WNBA rivalry? Wouldn't that be so fun to to have the WNBA be where majority of sports fans are tuning into besides, you know, April, May, June baseball? Yeah, <laughs> especially especially real quick too, especially when you have players like Caitlin Clark, when you're watching them in these type of environments in the NCAA men, uh, women's uh, tournament, and you get to see them go into the WNBA and you, and you become fans of these girls, like even Caitlin Clark, or like I said, Angel Reese, these girls that are performing at a high level and they go to the WNBA, like you find yourself just following these, these, these people. So again, it, it all ties together. So it's a great point. MLB fans won't be happy. You said that by the way. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> okay the biggest it. thing of it all is that women's basketball isn't a laughing matter. It's no joke. It's legit. Hoops. No, they're they're for real. Yeah. yeah. And you know, like I even think back to like, you know, like my favorite show of the all, of all time is The Office. There's a joke in like season 6 where they talk where like Dwight's like I like I like men's basketball. I like the WNBA. I like I like sports. I like jokes. Like like you know, like there's like, you know, people like have always made that joke about women's basketball. But the reality is, man, and Troy you alluded to earlier. Like there's some women that that can can do circles around men with the fundamentals and the skills and the things that they know on the basketball court. It's unreal. So what Caitlin, by the way, what Caitlin Clark did against Louisville, a 40 point triple double. Yeah. <sighs> Why wouldn't you tune in? Why wouldn't you that like take away like female male, just watching that performance and what she's been doing from three. She shot eight for 14 from three. Like that's, that's if, as you're a basketball fan, you're tuning in. Yep, exactly. Which again just speaks to the fact that good basketball is good basketball, regardless. Mm -hmm. And just been just when I saw that, that just that just that just put a big smile on my face because I remember being I remember how angry I was when you know when all that stuff came out you know in the disparagement and that and you know just not even five years later to see that just insanely cool. But Troy. There's no other way to end this podcast than to head over to Mount Rushmore with my boy. So with that, yeah. Troy, what do you got for us today? Yeah, I got a fun one today. Uh, definitely not a serious one, but one that we can have some fun with. Um, we know the NBA is a business. We know it's not always about basketball. Got to be some profit. Yeah, I know. Right. Isn't that crazy? Um, we are going to do the Mount Rushmore of best NBA related commercials. Oh man! Well, I'll now, tell you what's the, not on there: Jalen Green's new freaking oh, like geez. liquid death commercial. Troy, did you see this? I didn't. Oh, it's so bad. I'm sending it to you to watch after this. It's what we might we might have to do a video reacting to it at some point because it's so yeah, bizarre. But yeah. anyway, now it's not gonna. No, this doesn't necessarily have to be a commercial for the NBA. This can be a commercial for State Farm or Taco Bell, but with NBA player right in it or coaches right. or whatever so um sean you want to start well i mean well i mean yeah i mean if you're gonna let me start i'm gonna go with the best basketball commercial of all time magic i know magic larry larry bird playing horse over a big mac i mean yeah. it is it is one of i mean like first yeah. of all i mean the, the you know their rivalry and everything that that brings and the in the history behind that how clever of a commercial that was how funny it is to go back and watch it's a timeless commercial and you know, even just you know, like even the the remake um, that they did, the White Howard and LeBron. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 
Wasn't it though Michael Jordan and Larry Bird? Was it Michael? Was it MJ and Larry? Yes, it was. Pretty sure it was Michael. It was. Yeah. Son yeah. of a yeah. god. No, I mean Magic Larry are rivals. You, that's an easy mix up. But regardless, the commercial's yeah, yeah. legendary. Yeah, <laughs> right, regardless. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. And can I speaking of Michael Jordan? Can I bring up the uh, the Gatorade commercial? The yeah. the older yeah. Michael and the younger Michael, like yeah, the the dynamic there. That's I feel really like, and again, most of these greatest commercials have Michael in them because of the historic yeah. value there. But that's the other one I had to bring up because that still sticks in my craw. The yeah, young Mike yeah. talking to the older Mike. Yeah, I, I like it. that one too. Um, I'm gonna have to go with. Uh, the, the Christmas commercial maybe 10 years ago, 2012 or 2013, with um, Jingle Bells being played to oh, three-point shots yes. with Jingle Bells in the nets. Yep. That, that's, that's pretty cool. One. That one yep. was pretty cool. That was with uh, – there was James Harden, LeBron, yep, Kevin Durant. I think Honestly, Jeremy that's Lynn, a great one. I think that's Jeremy a great Lynn one. was in that commercial. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jay Lynn. Wow, I wow. think Steve Nash too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's that brings back like so many memories when you said that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, man. Uh huh. And then LeBron catching the alley-oop at the end. Yeah, right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's the one. That's the one. Oh, yeah. gosh. So good. Absolutely. Yeah. So good. And, and listen, can we if we go off topic too? Chris Paul and State Farm commercials. Oh, like, yeah. Right. Let's just right. be real. Chris I love Paul's the one where um, he's like, I didn't know you played for the Bucks. And he's like, I <laughs> yeah. did. And it's like the deer wrecking his car in the garage. It's pretty funny. <laughs> so cheesy, man. It's yeah. so oh, cheesy. What if I want to change sports and then walk walking? Yeah, it's a funny one too. But <laughs> they got the perfect guy for that cheesy Chris yeah. Paul. I, I like the remember the NBA where amazing happens. Remember that little line back from like 2008 2009 oh yeah 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 maybe before your time jeff <laughs> well I, I mean what was i like i was a nine at the time yeah so yeah. I, I i probably he's, he's like two years younger than us Troy. Like, yeah. what? He's a, <laughs> maybe before your time he's like a year and a half younger than you like what, <laughs> like, what? <laughs> i just got sunned by troy what happened uh what happened? i'm just I just can't believe I got. I just can't believe I mixed up magic. I mean, magic and MJ. I mean, it makes sense, right? It but would. It, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean. Now I think Magic and Larry did a sneakers commercial from the '80s where it was like, um, "I'm gonna, Converse." Yeah, Converse. Yeah, it was like I'm gonna wear the sneakers of this year's past MVP, and then. Larry comes in. Well, I'm gonna be. Oh no, yep. magic! I'm it was be a converse of next year's MVP. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Pretty mm -hmm. cool. That's another yeah. classic commercial, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. One hundred percent. So, yeah. Great, great publicity advertising over the years that really helped make the league what it is today. So, NBA is good at that. Yeah. yeah they, they are. They are. I mean, yeah, they're great at absolutely pumping out money. I mean, honorable mention. <laughs> I mean, honorable mention, of course, goes to the Cure Auto Insurance, Cade Cunningham commercials. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. You know, some of the greatest commercials of all time. <laughs> That's why I got Cure Auto Insurance. <laughs> I, I I'll still that. watch that a hundred times before I watch that Jalen Green commercial. Oh, you guys got to send me this Jalen Green stuff. I got to watch it. Oh, it's traumatizing, I'm, Troy. Oh, I'm already on absolutely. it right now, Troy. It's absolutely yeah, traumatizing. I, All right. It really All is. Right. Like, my my day was ruined when I saw that. I, I, <laughs> I was just like, what in God's green earth is this? But anyways, I mean, yeah, there, there are so many classic campaigns, so many good commercials. I, I think of uh, I, I think of as well, like, you know I mean, Kobe's 
had a lot of great campaigns as well with Nike. I mean, you know, there's just man, like we could we could even do one on sneaker commercials and mm-hmm. sneaker campaigns as well. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I mean, I, I I mean the NBA has by far the most marketable stars, and with that, I think some of the most memorable moments and memorable things from that. So, but guys, this was a great episode. I appreciate you both so much, and I appreciate each and every one of you that was tuning in from home. Thank you so much for being a part of From Half Court. If you like this video, be sure you like it right down below. Be sure you subscribe to the channel as well. Be sure you share with your friends and join in the conversation down below. Also, be sure you follow my guys, Jeff, at Jeff Iafredi, my boy Troy, at TroySergi44, and myself, at Sean Half Court. But with that, folks, that is it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you guys next time from Half Court. Be sure you're subscribed.